and everything in life is not for their good. And sometimes difficulties come, situations arise, and people are paralyzed, people are stunted, and they never grow or they never recover from what's going on in their life. You know, but there are those in life who do overcome the odd curveball that comes their way. There are those who, when life gives them lemons, they overcome those lemons. I, wanna, I found this article this week, and it really inspired me. And it's uh, basically a quick story of eight people who you should all know, all know about. The first one is Henry Ford. While Ford was known for his innovative assembly line and American main cars, he wasn't an instant success. In fact, his early businesses failed and they left him broke five times before he finally founded the successful Ford Motor Company. Five times. R.H. Macy. Most of you are familiar with the department store Macy's. But Macy was not always... Uh, a success, and he didn't always have it easy. In fact, Macy started seven failed businesses before finally hitting it big with his New York City store. Seven times he started a business, and seven times they failed. F.W. Woolworth. Some of you younger people, you won't know who that is. But some of you other, other, uh, others may know who that is. He was once one of the biggest names in the department store industry. Before starting his own business, young Woolworth tried to work at a dry goods store and was not allowed to wait on customers because his boss said he lacked the sense needed to do so. He didn't have a very good start. I tried to pronounce this one right, but so Riccio Honda, the billion-dollar business that is Honda, began with a series of failures and actually fortunate turns of luck. Honda was turned down by the uh, Toyota Motor Corporation for a job after interviewing to become an engineer, leaving him jobless for quite some time. He started making scooters at his own home Spurred on by his neighbors, he finally started a business. Then there was a guy called Akio Morita. Most of you probably won't even know who Akio Morita is. But you've heard of his company, Sony. Sony's first product was a rice cooker that unfortunately didn't cook rice so much as it burned rice. And he sold only 100 units. The first setback didn't stop Marita and his partners as they pushed forward and they created the multi-billion dollar business called Sony. Then there was Bill Gates. Gates didn't seem like a shoo-in for success after dropping out of Harvard and starting his first failed business with Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen, which was called Traff O'Data. Can you imagine? You'd be all on computers. What computer do you have? I have a Traff O'Data computer. Well, while his early idea didn't work, Gates' later work did, creating the global empire that is Microsoft. Then there was a man called Harlan David Sanders, perhaps better known as Colonel Sanders as of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. Sanders had a hard time selling his chicken at first. In fact, his famous secret chicken recipe was rejected 
1,009 times before a restaurant accepted it. Can you believe that? Most of us would have given up after like five times, but no, not Sanders. 1,009 times. And then finally, this is my personal favorite, Walt Disney. Today, Disney rakes in billions of dollars from merchandise, movies, and theme parks all around the world. But Walt Disney himself had a bit of a rough start. He was fired by a newspaper editor because of this. Listen to this. He was fired because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. After that, Disney started a number of businesses that didn't last long, and he ended up bankrupt and a total failure. But he kept plugging away. However, and eventually he found a recipe for success that worked, that we now know as Walt Disney World, Walt Disney Land, Disney everything. There was something about these men that allowed them to overcome disappointments, that overcame distractions, that were able to look past failures and letdowns. And I have a word for it this morning. I call it mission. Mission. Let me show you four of the stories in the book of Acts to show you what I mean. And the first story is found in, in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. Listen to this story. It starts off by saying, why Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria. That was a church that had been established in Syria. Some men from Judah had arrived, so they'd come up north, and they began to teach the believers, the people of the church. It says, they taught this, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So for you guys, if you haven't had the chop, then, no, sorry, you ain't getting in. Then it says, Paul and Barnabas. It says, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing with them, vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, uh, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. So we've got this situation. Some people have come into the church and they start teaching a theology that Paul and Barnabas do not agree with and a lot of the other people in the church don't agree with. So it was causing problems in the church. So what they decided to do, they would go back to Jerusalem where the church started and speak to the apostles. It says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. And some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, The Gentile converts, so that they were the people who weren't Jews, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. You know, in any community at all, whether it it be a social club, whether it be a church, whether it be a, a sports team, whether it be a neighborhood, There's always going to be people with different views. People with different methods, some with different theologies and philosophies. 
And these differences always have the potential to cause a split within that community. You know, a community that is divided is a broken community. And here, the potential of this happening to the church in the book of Acts occurred. Some members of the church insisted that everyone, including the Gentiles, follow the Jewish customs and the Jewish way. And we can see here, it caused a huge disturbance. And it got to a point where there was almost a split and a divide in the church. This was a church where everything was going well, everything was going good, and they were the, they were the point of splitting. And so, what anybody does in this situation, the solution is, uh, let's go ask the leaders and see what they think about all this. So they go down to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, and then some other people. And when they get there, they went to find a solution, and they found a solution. And the solution came in the form of a man called James. James was the brother of Jesus. And many believe that James never believed in Jesus until Jesus rose from the dead. But he was, he was brought on and he was called one of the apostles in the early church of the book of Acts. And this is what happened when they went to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 12, it says, Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told us about the time that God visited the Gentiles to take from them the people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. And as it is written, afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David, which was the Jews. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity, that were the Gentiles, might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. And then James says this. He says, so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, and from eating meat that was being str- uh, from the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath. For many generations. Now for those of you who didn't understand what James said. I'll put it in layman's terms. This is what James said. James said. God intends to reach the Gentiles. God wants to make his name known to the Gentiles. God instructed us as a church to reach the Gentiles. Now let's not forget the mission that God has given us. And that is to bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. God didn't instruct us to convert them to Jewish laws and customs. God's mission for us was to go and tell the Gentiles about the good news of Jesus. 
James realized that everything that they did as a church had to be through the filter of this mission, and that was going to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what happened is when a split came, a problem came, they didn't like just look at the situation and think, oh, what are we going to do? They looked at it through the filter of their mission. You know, when I was a 16-year-old boy, a lot of things happened when, when I was 16 in my, in my faith life. But we had been part of the church for eight years. My dad had been the pastor. And when my dad had come to be the pastor of this church, four years prior, they had let their last pastor go. So this church had been without a pastor for four years. No staff members or anything for four years. That's a long time in, in the church. And what had happened is a group of deacons had formed, and they, had, they were the board. They were the ones in charge of the church. Well, what my dad didn't know is that they had interviewed my uncle a few weeks before for the pastorate. They wanted my uncle to come. And my uncle said, if I come, then I need to be the leader of this church, and you guys need to step down. And they decided they didn't want to offer my uncle the job. Well, then my uncle... I don't know what he had against my dad. He recommended they interview my dad. And so my dad interviewed, and he felt that God was calling them. Well, everything was good for the first six months, but then this board of deacons decided that they did not want my dad to lead the church. They just wanted my dad to be a figurehead, to preach on a Sunday morning, and then make all the decisions. And my dad's pretty strong-minded, and he was like, no, that isn't going to happen. That is not how, how a church is run. A church is run with spiritual leadership, not with just a group of, of deacons trying to run the church. And so, basically, there was a power struggle. And for the next eight years, there was this power struggle. But apart from that, the church started to grow and God started to do things. We were packing the place out on a Sunday morning. And eventually, this board of deacons got to a place where they did not want my dad as the pastor anymore. And so, instead of praying about it, instead of uh, uh, just uh, um, trying to feel it out, instead of sensing, is God calling my dad somewhere else? They put a letter together. And they sent this letter out that my dad did not know about to all the members of the church, saying that we were going to have a meeting, whether to vote my dad back in or out of the church. And this is the type of stuff that people who don't go to church hate about churches. But the reality is, is whenever there's a community, there could be a time for a split. Well, these deacons thought everybody would want my dad out. Well, what happened is that a lot of people started ringing them up and said that they were ungodly and they were all this and that. And eventually we had the meetings and the deacons never turned off at the meeting. But what happened, they did have this band of followers and eventually the deacons left, all of them, and their followers left as well. And the church was left with, with, without these people. But the, the problem was the damage had already been done and the church had been hurt. And ultimately the church never recovered. And it never got back to the place that it was before. The problem with this, I don't think was so much that the deacons wanted my dad out. It was the fact they were filtering through decisions out of what they wanted instead of the mission of the church. And the mission of the church was to reach that community for Jesus Christ. And the problem was, is that they never reached that community for Jesus Christ. Because every situation and every problem was tackled on head on, but it wasn't filtered through the mission. 
And if they had just been like that church in Acts and said, look, this is our mission to reach the Gentiles. Let's not make it difficult for other people. Then I think that church could have really reached that community. The second story I want to share with you, I I call the friendship split. The friendship split. It's found in, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. It says there, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Paul uh, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along a man called John Mark. Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had continued and had not continued with them in their work. So their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. So Paul and Barnabas, who were friends, they were like best friends. They suddenly had this disagreement. And their disagreement is so bad that they decide to separate. Then Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left the believers... uh, And he chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Now, this is the secret. It says, then he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening strengthening the churches there. So we have this friendship that is suddenly on the verge of splitting. And this friendship was, was so strong, was so important to the church, That if they'd let this friendship get out of control, if they'd let this argument get out of control, it could have affected their lives forever and it could have affected the church. In fact, if they'd let this get out of control, we may not even have many of the New Testament books and letters that we have today. But they didn't resolve it like that. They resolved it a different way. Both Paul and Barnabas were commissioned to go to areas where people had never heard the good news of Jesus to tell about the good news of Jesus. And so they decided, well, we got this situation, we can't do it together, but we'll still go out separately and do it. Their focus was their mission, not their situation. And we see later on in life that they actually made up, and there was that put Barnabas became back part of the church, and, and they were friends, and Paul has good things to say about Barnabas. But this didn't harm the church. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas put their differences aside, and they decided to stay on their mission. They filtered their life through their mission, and the result was that Europe was transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to show you another story. I call this the the custom problem. I've never seen this before in the Bible, and I've kind of glanced over it, and I read this, and my first words were, ouch. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul went first to Derbe, and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Inconim. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Now listen to this. In deference to the Jews of the area, 
He arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everybody knew that Timothy's father was Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened by their faith, and they grew larger every day. Now think this for a moment. Guys, this is pretty painful. This is a guy, this is a a grown man, Timothy. Timothy is a Gentile. That means Timothy, when he was a baby, was not circumcised. Timothy was called by God to reach people far from God. And some of that meant that he would have to go and reach Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people at the time, they thought they were superior to Gentiles. So, if a Gentile was coming to declare the word of God, the good news of Jesus, the Jews would not listen to a Gentile. So, Paul decided he would make an appointment. And Timothy would get the chop. I'm not sure how long Timothy was out of commission for. Maybe it was a couple of days, maybe it was a couple of weeks. But for a grown man, something like that to happen, uh, you must be full on with your mission for Jesus Christ. I'm not expecting anybody to do anything like that here this morning. But the fact is, Timothy filtered his life through the mission. And he knew he wanted to reach the Jews. And he knew he would not be able to reach Jewish people if they knew he was a Gentile. So he took on the role as a Jew in order to reach the Jews. Now, talk about taking one for the team, right? I mean, that's just like, wow. Bravo, good on you, Timothy. The result was that Timothy became the pastor of a church in Ephesus. And history tells us that there was almost 30,000 people who had come to know Jesus Christ in Ephesus. Why? Because Timothy focused on the mission of his life, and that was to reach people for Jesus Christ. The final story I want to share with you today is, I call this, the disappointment. The disappointment. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6 to 10. Now, if I get some of these words mixed up, then please excuse me. But there's a lot of strange words in here. It says, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phygeria and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So Paul Paul and Silas uh, were going out to Asia to tell the good news of Jesus and for whatever reason, there was no open doors. So they went to these two other places. And it says, then coming from the borders of Meister, They headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Misa to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So now we have Paul and Silas. They are on a mission for God. They are doing things for God. And everywhere they go, it's like a closed door in their face. 
Have you ever felt like that? That everything that you do is like, just doesn't succeed? It's like a closed door. You feel God is telling you to do this, but it's a closed door. Maybe you feel like God is telling you to quit your job, but then another job doesn't come up. Maybe God's telling you to, to, to give more financially, but then it just seems like you're just more strained and strained each month. Maybe God is asking you to serve more and serve more, but it seems like you're just giving and giving and giving, and you're just not re- receiving it was like Paul and, and Silas. They, they went out to do the work of God, but everywhere they went, it was closed doors in their face. It was like one big disappointment after another. And then one night, Paul is sleeping and he has this dream. He has this vision. And God says, go to Macedonia. So Paul is finally thinking, finally, we're going to go to a place where God is going to work and we're going to be able to preach the gospel to people. Now look what happened when they get to Macedonia. Verse 22 of Acts 16. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and climbed their feet to the stocks. Could you imagine this? I mean, after all these disappointments, after all these closed doors, finally they hear God say, go here, and they go there, and then they get beaten, they get whipped, and then they get put in prison. I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, God, are you even there? What are you doing? Are you, like, just trying to hurt us on purpose? Are you trying to disappoint us on purpose? But it continues. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. You see this? In the midst of the biggest disappointment, in the midst of the the biggest setback of their lives, They started praising God and worshipping God. And the ultimate thing what happened was the prison doors opened and they led that jailer to Jesus Christ. And then that jailer, they went to the jailer's home and the jailer fixed a meal for them. And then the whole family of that jailer found Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Their mission was to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And despite their circumstances, they filtered their life through their mission And eventually, their mission in life was accomplished. You know, in 1997, I became a youth pastor. I'll be honest, I wasn't a very good youth pastor. We would, like, torture the kids and do crazy things. But when I first became a youth pastor, someone gave me this book, and it was an okay book. But it was called The Purpose Driven Youth Ministry by a guy called Doug Fields. And for the first time in my life, I heard someone talk about the need that we need a mission statement. 
And in the book, it basically said, if you wanted your youth ministry to take off, you needed a mission statement. And now we hear everybody has mission statements. Businesses, churches, uh, organizations have mission statements. Well, I'll be honest, I'm not big on mission statements. I sometimes think that they can be a distraction and sometimes pigeonhole people. But the older I'm becoming, the more and more convinced I am the need for mission in our life and understanding what our mission is. And I believe that everyone needs to create a mission for your lives and different areas for your lives. You know, this year, I, uh, for Christmas, I gave my wife uh, a, a present. I gave her like 12 different boxes and in each different box, there was, there was a, a, like a piece of paper and on it, there was like this graphic that I did. And each one was one for each month. And it was a trip or uh, something that we were going to do together that month. Well, not February. It was February was like a pedicure and a manicure. And I'm not having a pedicure or a manicure. But anyway, and I had it once when I got married and never again. Never, never again. Uh, and, and so she put it on Facebook. All these pictures and like people were like, oh, isn't that cute? What a creative gift. I'm like, no, honestly, it wasn't. But I was speaking to my best friend this week, and he was like, you got me in trouble. He goes, I had a three-hour argument with my wife. And I was like, why? He goes, because of that, that stupid Christmas present you've got for your wife. He said, my wife was like, why don't you do things like that for me? And he goes, three hours, they had an argument. And I was like, sorry, like do more things for your wife then. But, but there was a reason why I did that. Because I decided that in 2013, I was going to start having a mission each year for our marriage. I realized that our marriage had got to a point where we have a good marriage. And we know what it takes to make a marriage succeed. And we know the things that happen that can make a marriage fail. But I wanted to take our marriage to another level. And we'd had lots of conversations. So I decided that 2013 for our marriage was going to be a year of memories, where we were going to create memories. And so that is my mission for our marriage this year, that we are going to create good memories. So in years to come, we'll come, look back and we're like, remember that stuff we did in 2013? And I believe in every area of your life, you need a mission. You need mission in every area of your life, whether it be in your faith, where do you want to go the next, in, the, in this next year, in the next two years, five years, 20 years from now? Where do you want to be in your faith? How about in your prayer life? Where do you want to be in your, in your prayer life? Do you want, want to be where you're at or a place that God is taking you? How about it in your church attendance or in the areas that, 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 that you're volunteering or all the things that, that you believe God's got for you within the church? I believe that everyone needs a mission for their finances so that we can filter what we spend and what we don't spend through the mission that we have for our finances. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your career, in your studies, what is your mission? Because so often we will go through life and if we don't have mission in our lives, if we don't have those goals that we are working towards, then circumstances come into our lives and they will upset us and they will throw us off course. When life throws you a curveball, or it seems that everything that we do just ends up as a lemon, 
Can you filter it through the mission of your life or does it set you off course? Back in, 2000, uh, back in uh, 1995, I was 16. Like I said, a lot happened in my life as I was 16. And I remember I went to this youth camp and one night I felt God call me to become a minister of Jesus Christ, a pastor. Someone who would go and tell people about Jesus Christ, lead them and disciple them. And I remember for the first and only time in my life, God gave me a vision. And I remember I was on the floor and I was kneeling before God and I was praying and suddenly this vision. Never had one before, never had one since. But this was the vision. I saw myself in front of thousands of people in Africa. And I was encouraging them and equipping them how to lead their churches. And then it panned out and I could see all the different churches. And I, and, and I saw this vision and I saw that I had been an integral part of the planting of those churches. And I saw that, that God had used me to be part of, uh, of something that, that had planted thousands of churches. And I was there equipping and encouraging the pastors of these churches. And I felt God say that this was your mission for life. In second and third world countries that you would go and equip pastors and leaders and plant churches and reach people for Jesus Christ. And then I came out and it panned out even more. And I could see my house. And my house was, remember I was 16 years old, living in the United Kingdom. My house was on the east coast of the United, Sta of the United States. I could see it, it panned out even more. Most incredible thing and I always knew, I was like, God, I really don't want to move to America because I don't really like Americans. I mean, I thought that. I'll be honest. I like you guys now. I love you. Uh, but I remember that God gave me this vision. And I knew at that point in my life that my mission in life would be to plant churches, would be to equip and encourage believers, and I would be based here in the United States. I just knew it. And I look at myself now, and I'm actually in the United States on the East Coast. I mean, it's incredible. But I haven't seen the fulfillment of my mission in life yet. And so everything I do, and I've been reminded of this lately in my life, has to be through the filter of that mission. That is the place that God is taking me. And so when circumstances and situations come, and life throws me a curveball, or I get a lemon in life, it's not going to distract me or take me off course. It's going to keep me on the mission that God has for me. Those eight businessmen that I read at the beginning, they suffered failure. They suffered disappointment. They suffered rejection. But eventually they succeeded because they focused on their mission of their life, not on their circumstances. As I close today, the Apostle Paul, he went throughout this life and he suffered many curveballs. There was many lemons thrown his way. Let me just share with you exactly what Paul suffered. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23, it says, Are they servants of Christ? 
I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing for me to keep warm. Besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. This guy Paul went through everything. I mean, you could not imagine a worse life that this man had, but yet everything was filtered through his mission. And that was to reach people for Jesus Christ. Life will throw you curveballs. Life will be full of problems. This life has its difficulties. There will be disappointments. There will be failures. And there will be rejections. But don't let them define your life. Don't let them create your future. But find your mission. Stay on that mission. And filter all that life throws at you through that mission. If Philippians 3 verse 14, it tells us, I press on to reach the end of the race. That's the fulfillment of that mission. And receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. And I ask you today, what is your mission in life? What is your purpose in life? i got some homework for you guys this week. This week, whether it be today or when you wake up tomorrow or throughout the week. Start to write down what you believe your mission and your purpose is in life. What is your mission for this life? What, what are you here to do? What, 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 what uh, uh, in your marriage, what, what, where is God taking that? In your parenting, why has God given you those children? What is your mission? In your finances, how you spend your money. What is your mission in life? Where are you going? Where are you heading? What is the prize that you are going towards? And I promise you, if you find that mission and you stay on mission, when life throws you those curveballs, when life gives you lemons, when difficulties and problems come, you'll be able to push them aside. You'll be able to continue on the walk and on the mission that you have for your life. Let's pray.